Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Come on. It is February, a month of love. You know, I was thinking this month whether or not we should do a series about love and marriage and all of that (laughs) because I've only been married seven years. But you know what? God spoke to me. Hey, yay, thank you for that. Uh, But God spoke to me, Paul, it's not about your age or how long you've been married. It's about the word of God getting in people's hearts and having a balance of messages throughout the year. And they need to hear some messages about marriage and family and real life relationships, not like the movies. Everybody say not like the movies. So one of the scriptures that God really spoke to me for this series to just focus on and let this scripture sink down deep in our hearts that are going to help us kind of as a map for this series is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Yay! Any Patriot fans in the house today? Any Atlanta Falcons fans in the house today? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Everybody say, change the way you think. Now, the way we think is, is, a, is really a combination of a lot of things. The way we think uh, is determined by how we were raised, the parents we had, the the school we went to, the topics that were discussed in that school, the philosophies of that school, but also the way we think is, is, is a combination of the movies that we've watched, the shows that we've watched, the church that we attend, and there's all of these voices that are kind of speaking into our thoughts, speaking into our beliefs, speaking into the patterns that end up determining the behaviors of our life. What Paul was saying here, if you were to just take this scripture and kind of walk it backwards, is the way you think determines the way you behave. The way you think determines the way you behave in marriage, the way you behave in relationships. The way you think determines how you treat your spouse. The way you think determines how you view men and women and how you view uh, this, the commitment of marriage, the boundaries of marriage. And he says this, if you will let God change the way you think, then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, if God was the director of the movie of your life, and he is, if you allow him to be, he has a great script for your life. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to direct every season of your life, as if you're in a movie, but you're not an actor, you are real, you are not pretending something, you're walking this out. The script is written for you to have a great love story, for you to have a great life. The question is, are you willing to take the director's decisions? Are you willing to let the director decide for your life and your marriage what he wants? Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us in this message today. I pray that we would leave encouraged today, challenged, inspired. Lord, I pray that we would leave 
from this room with, with the decisions we need to make, God, the choices we need to make to see your will come to pass in our lives. I thank you. Everyone here today, God, is, is in your will because they're leaning into your word. And, and today they've decided to put you first by just being in church. So Lord, I thank you, God, those that are watching online, those that are here in this room, Lord, that we're gonna experience, God, abundance and we're gonna experience, God, your goodness and your grace and your mercy this week. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all in this room like movies? Any, anybody like to watch movies? It's okay, you're not a sinner. We know you're, you're still a Christian, even if you watch some movies. <laughs> My dad, he liked movies sometimes, but a lot of times, like, he didn't really like movies. We had to force him to sit in a room and watch movies with us. And, uh, and it wasn't even like they were bad movies. It was just, he, he doesn't like to sit. He didn't like to sit for like an hour and a half to watch a movie. My mom, on the other hand, man, she could watch a couple movies in a row with us kids. And so in our house, we would have family movie nights. Anybody else do family movie nights, okay? So we would do, back when Blockbuster was around, the good old days, anybody remember Blockbuster? Yeah, we would go and rent a VHS. We'd go into that Blockbuster store and mom would say, okay, this, this week it's Paul's turn, next week is Sarah's turn, and my sister Ruthie, my, my brother John, and we would take turns. And we would get to choose what movie we were going to watch as long as it was, you know, uh, G or PG or within the boundaries of what my parents had discussed we were going to watch. And we would sit down in the living room. We would order Mazio's pizza. We would get some Coca-Cola from Quick Trip. Man, we would get some popcorn popping. How many of y'all like to watch movies with some food and some pop? Yes. So we would sit there and y'all were like, where's he going with this? Where's the, where's the scripture to this? I promise it's coming. I just need to loosen you up for a second. So we would get into the movie, and our family watched movies with a lot of excitement. My mom would start describing what was going to happen in the movie, even though she had never seen it. She was just guessing. She's like, I know he's the bad guy. I know what he's going to do. He's, oh, I'm telling you, they're going to end up together. I promise you this is what's going to happen. We're like, have you seen the movie? No, but I just got a feeling it's discernment. I, I can discern what Hollywood's doing here. We were like, Whoa. And uh, then my sisters, they would be, you know, enacting the movie. Me and my brother, we would be enacting the movie. We would imitate what the actors were doing. We were such a loud, wild, crazy family to watch movies together with. My dad would just be sitting there watching the circus. Like, he's just looking at us like, you guys are hilarious. I'm so glad I get to watch. He, he was like, I enjoy watching y'all more than I enjoy watching the movie. <laughs> and when I got married, I realized my wife watches movies totally different than I do. And I realized when we were in the theater, I leaned over and, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself in the movie. Every movie I watch, I personalize. That's me. Yeah, I understand that character. I, I can relate to that person. So I lean over. I'm like, Ashley, that's totally me. Ashley, that's totally you. This is us, like Pride and Prejudice. I'm Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darty, Mr. Darcy. You are Pride and Prejudice. I'm telling you, this is our story. She's just looking at me like, would you stop personalizing every movie? It's not about us. One time Ashley said this. She said, we are not like the movies. We're better than the movies. Turn to somebody next to you and say, we're not like the movies. We're better than the movies. And this is what Paul was saying. See how I brought it full circle? Romans chapter 12. Paul was saying, listen, the, the behavior of this world the customs of this world, what Hollywood's trying to pump. There's nothing wrong with watching a good movie or watching a good show. The only problem is if it starts changing the way you look at your marriage, the way you look at singleness as a single, the way that you look at men and women 
In fact, Huffington Post did an article about this, a secular person, not a Christian, not a pastor, and they, they discovered, they did an, a, a survey of 625 college students from the University of Michigan. They asked them this question, how many romantic movies have you seen in the last 10 years? And they gave a list of 100 romantic movies. And they had half, half the, the research was on girls and half of it was on guys. So they were kind of studying what girls think and what guys think. Then they asked them about shows they had seen. Have you watched The Bachelor? Have you watched The Real Housewives of whatever city now that The Real Housewives are doing? There's like so many cities. And have you watched uh, Millionaire Matchmaker? Have you watched these movies, these shows? And it was crazy because every single person that was interviewed had watched some of these movies, watched some of these shows. And what they found was that the more of the movies that they watch and the shows that they watch, the more it affected the way they thought about marriage. And they begin to ask them questions. How do you view men? How do you view women? And a lot of their answers were determined by the shows that they had been watching, the movies they had been watching. Then they started to dig a little deeper in your family. and your family, how many of these movies or what kind of movies did you watch? And how did it affect your house, your family, your relationships with each other, your parents' marriage? And they found that the longevity of relationships was, was really hinging on the way people viewed relationships through the lens of the shows and the movies that they had watched. That it affected the longevity of how long they would stay in a relationship or whether they would leave or who they would sleep with. All of these decisions that were worldly. And, and Hollywood will pump us. I mean, 90% of the romantic movies out there are not from a biblical perspective of marriage. Right? Hollywood is not, is not trying to teach you what the Holy Spirit wants you to learn about marriage and men and women. I mean, it's okay to laugh at a good movie. We're, this series is not about trying to get you to stop watching movies, but really to just get you to take a step back and go, have I been affected by some of the shows I've been watching, the movies I've been watching? Have I, has it changed the way I view my spouse and the pressure that I put on my spouse to be someone that God's word says they're not supposed to be? And Hollywood will try to put on lifestyles and behaviors and customs like it's okay. They want us to get comfortable with things that the word of God is clearly, clearly set the boundaries for. It got really quiet in this charismatic church this morning. And it's Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> so who defines true love? Who defines marriage? Well, God does. First John chapter four, verse eight says, those who do not love, do not know God, for God is love. God is the definition of love. He's the creator of love. He's the one who breathes love into our lives. He's the one that gave us the idea of marriage. Hollywood doesn't define marriage. The Supreme Court doesn't define marriage. God defines marriage. And if we're not careful, we can start allowing shows and movies to start changing the way we think, and if it changes the way we think, remember what Paul said, the way you think determines the way you behave, and the way you behave affects everything else in your life. So we gotta come back to our thoughts. Who defines marriage? God does. God defines marriage. You know, there's some couples in our church that have stood the test of time in their marriage, and their story is better than the movies. And I want you to hear a little bit of what they have to say about marriage. Check this out. My name is Johnny Netters. I'm Al Richardson. This is my wife, Pat. I'm Joel Guycourt, and this is my beautiful wife, Veronica. My name is Carl Taylor. And I'm Charity Taylor. 
We've been married for 62 and a half years. 21 years. August 19th. What year, John? 1995. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been married for? 32 years this May 4th. That's right. May 4th. 19... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it was an arranged marriage, so we met. He was in the U.S. and I was in India. So his picture was sent to me. We liked each other, and within one month, we got married. She looked better in person than in person, not on the picture, actually. <laughs> he would try to talk to me or speak to me, and I would say hi and keep walking. So I, I went to a friend of mine and asked him about Joy because I didn't want to come to her the wrong way. Like you used to doing ladies back then? Well, in the past. <laughs> we met at uh, my senior or my graduation dance from high school. I was with another person. She was with another person. Neither one of us were really happy with the persons we were with, so we sat at the table and had a time to get to know one another. In a father's church. Yeah, we were young, and that was usually the place to meet, at church. She was beautiful, and still is. Amen. Still is. Good answer. She have an age a day. We are committed to each other, and the, the pastor said, till death do you part, and that's the way we've always lived. And of course, we were madly in love, totally in love, so we never thought of it not being right. for the rest of our lives. When I met Joy, I knew I knew she was the right one for me. I knew God had a plan for me, you know? Yeah, and he needed a plan for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting in that extra amount of work that you need to put in that marriage. Uh, it's, wedding is only for one day, but marriage is for life. Giving one another grace, because yeah. you're not perfect. Yeah, quick to forgive. Yes. Quick to forgive. and. Um, a lack of selfishness. Yeah, she forgave me a lot of times, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, take it slow um, and realize that, you know, it's, it can be better than you imagined, um, but it's definitely not a fairy tale. It's, it's def definitely not like the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give him a big hand this morning. Everybody say, it's not like the movies. It's better than the movies. You know, a movie is about 90 minutes long. It's got actors, they're pretending, they got all the makeup, they can do take after take after take, they can try to nail it in one take, but we're living out in the open. We're in real life motion here and we're figuring this out as we go on. And the great news is when you look in the Bible, most of the marriages in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, David and Bathsheba, Solomon and his 700 wives. You know, when you look at a lot of these marriages, they're not perfect marriages. But amazingly, God still chooses to use them. And the only perfect relationship out there, the only perfect marriage is the marriage one day between Christ and his church. So if you feel like your marriage is 
oftentimes learning as you go and growing and choosing to forgive, man, you're in good company. We are all learning together in this house, and we are not here to judge any couple that came into church today. And this month, any couple's welcome to come into church and to lean into God's word and to see what God can do when we put him into the equation of our relationships and marriages. Amen, church. Hey, I want to just give a big hand to all the couples in the room. If you're, if you're married, would you stand up? I want to just cheer on all the married couples that are fighting this thing together, that have been standing the test of time. Why don't you cheer for each other, married couples? Look around the room at some amazing husbands and wives and couples. Man, this is awesome. This is awesome. We honor you, married couples. How many of y'all know marriage takes work? Amen. Somebody shouted amen on that one. <laughs> it does. You know, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can allow our heart, our emotions, our feelings to dictate our choices in relationships and in marriages. One of the things that I think Paul wanted to teach people in Romans, in the book of Romans and in Corinthians, is to move from feeling-based love to choice-based love, to move from I feel like being with this person to I choose to be with this person because I've committed to be with this person, to move from I feel like loving my family to I choose to love my family even when I don't feel like it. Because how many of y'all know our feelings are not always going to be truthful, right? That's the fleshly part of us. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, like you're still a Christian, but you have feelings, you have flesh. And Last week, I preached a message on hearing God's voice. How many of y'all were here last week on hearing God's voice? You know, one way that we can line up whether we've heard the voice of God is, does it line up with Scripture? And some people say, well, I feel in my heart that God wants me to do da, 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 da. And if it sounds kind of sketchy or it sounds like, I, I don't think that's in the Word of God, chances are you didn't hear from God. You just wish you let God speak to what your feelings want in that moment. You got to go back to what does God's Word say about commitment and marriage and forgiveness. If somebody says, well, I kind of feel in my heart that God wants me to hold on to bitterness. Well, obviously that's not God. I kind of feel in my heart that God says, I don't have to work things out with that person because I just don't have to work things out. Well, what does God say about restoration, reconciliation, just even forgiving someone and walking in humility? We've got to go back to what does God's word say? Because sometimes our hearts can be deceptive, Jeremiah says. Sometimes our feelings can be deceptive. We've got to line it back up from feeling-based love to choice-based love. And what happens is the way that our hearts can be deceived is by listening to the lies of the enemy. The enemy will try to seep beneath the surface when the cameras aren't rolling, when it's not a picture on Instagram where everybody's smiling or coming into church smiling. It's behind the scenes that the enemy tries to plant these little lies, these little seeds. And these lies can change the way we treat our spouse, can change the way that we view people, can change the longevity of our marriages. There's a story that I saw in the news last week of this little boy in Abilene, Texas. True story. He goes into his house bathroom, and he was getting ready to use the bathroom, and when he walked in, a rattlesnake was slithering up the toilet in his house bathroom. This, this is the picture that they had on the news. He screams, Mom, there's a rattlesnake in the bathroom, and 
shuts the door and his mom says, get the shovel. And in that part of Texas, they have snake removers. So she calls the snake removal company and says, you got to get out to our house now, our property. There's a rattlesnake in our bathroom. And the guy was taking his time. And how many of y'all know the woman shall crush the head of the serpent? That mom took the shovel, walked into the bathroom, and went to town on that snake and killed that snake. And uh, <laughs> the, the rattlesnake, you know, the snake remover came there and he said, why did you kill the snake? This was on the news. They, they, they put the whole conversation on the news. Why did you kill the snake? Because the snake was in our house. And he said, well, I like to keep snakes alive and release them into the wild. And she's like, not in my house. We're killing snakes. And uh, he said, well, this, this, is, this is crazy. He said, well, usually when you find one snake, there's more. And he said, let me search your house. And he had his little prong and he began to go around the house and look behind cabinets, look behind shelves, got into the kitchen, looking inside those cabinets underneath the sink. And he said, is there any holes on, on the outside of your house where I could crawl under? She said, yeah, there's a big one. And he crawls underneath the house and he found a den of rattlesnakes, 24 rattlesnakes underneath the house. Everybody say, what lies beneath? Okay, we'll take that picture off the screen. <laughs> Isn't it interesting in Genesis chapter 2 that the devil comes as a serpent, slithering through the garden, planting lies in the minds and the hearts of Adam and Eve. Now, for us as Christians in this room, if you're not a believer, we invite you to accept this truth that Jesus loves you, he died for you, and, and he rose from the dead, and he wants to be your Lord and Savior. But as believers, we have to recognize, even though we've given Jesus our life, it does not exempt the devil from trying to come and plant lies in our hearts and our minds. The serpent was not intimidated by the relationship between Adam and God. I mean, Adam was tight with God. They talked in the garden together. And yet the serpent still came slithering up towards Eve and convincing Eve to talk to Adam. Hey, Remember that tree that God said you shouldn't eat from? Remember how God said everything you have is enough? You are enough. You can be content with what you have. The serpent said, what if, what if you took what's forbidden? What if you're not enough? What if you need something else to be enough? This lie of discontentment, this lie of saying what God's word says is really not true. What I say is true. Now, this is what the enemy loves to do when we're not being careful, when we're not being alert, these movies and these shows that we watch can plant little lies that try to dictate us away from choices from the word of God. And I wanna just uncover really quickly and confront these lies. Number one is the lie of lust. Lust is being pumped through the television screens. It's on commercials, it's on movies, it'll be on, it'll be on the Super Bowl commercials tonight. I guarantee you it'll be at halftime. They will pump this world full of lust, because this is the devil's desire. He wants people to believe the lie of lust. And the lie of lust is, this is what you want, even though you can't have it. And if you'll get it, you'll finally feel satisfied. But lust never leaves you satisfied. You always gotta have more. More pictures, more affairs, more relationships, more clicks. Because lust is never enough. Lust promises what it cannot deliver. You know, I think about how in the Bible, as soon as Adam and Eve took the forbidden thing, and what is it that causes us to want what we can't have? Forbidden things, they seem so enticing, and yet they're the pathway towards destruction. 
Proverbs, the, the wise guy in the world, Solomon in Proverbs 7 says, don't go near that pathway. Don't go near the house of the adulteress. Don't go near the immoral woman. Don't even look in that direction. It's so enticing. It's like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie A Bug's Life. But there's this moment in this cartoon, A Bug's Life, where this bug is flying and there's this light and it's drawing him and he's like, the light is so pretty. And he flies right into the light and then it electrocutes him. And he's like. <laughs> and this is what lust does. It looks like it's going to do something great for you and it's destructive. And every February, the theaters are releasing one more new movie, one new book that's now become a movie and more movies and more books to try and change the way you think. And man, it's a pathway towards destruction. And if we can confront it and say, God, I don't need that. You're enough for me. What you've blessed me with, it's enough. Man, I'd love to go a lot deeper into that. And I think I will this month on a Wednesday night. And I'll, and I'll warn you so that way you don't bring your kids under age 12 to the service. <laughs> Y'all are like, thank you for that because my kid's right next to me. Um, <laughs> but I think it's so important. I mean, the Bible is so clear about how we can walk in freedom and really get rid of that lie that lust tries to bring. Number two is the lie of offense. Offense. This destroys relationships. The movies will try to make it look like it's fun to put your spouse down, to be angry, to get upset. I'm not working things out with them. I'm going to find somebody else. This is where affairs happen. This is where distrust is sowed. This is where a sense of, of, of bitterness and hatred, the person that you used to love, now you hate and you're cold towards each other and you're numb and you don't even want to hold hands. And, and it all starts from these little petty offenses. I heard this funny story about this couple that they had gotten into a disagreement. The husband and wife, they were upset at each other about something, something ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, they decided they weren't going to talk to each other that night. They were giving each other silent treatment. And the husband realized he didn't have an alarm clock. He needed someone to wake him up in the morning and he didn't want to break the silence. So he wrote it on a note and just put it beside her pillow. Wake me up at 6 a.m. <laughs> Y'all know where this is going. So the next morning he wakes up and walks around and finds out it's 7.30 in the morning and he is furious. I can't believe my wife didn't wake me up. Then he sees a little note on his bed, wake up, it's 6 a.m. <laughs> this is real life, man. Sometimes you just get upset at each other. Have you ever been upset with your spouse before? Yeah, y'all are like, can I raise my hand? The Bible doesn't say that you can't get upset. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your upsetness. Don't let the, the, the sun go down on your anger. It's, it's going to happen. You're going to get upset at times with each other. To think that you can have a marriage where you don't get frustrated, there's going to be moments. I saw it in my house. I've seen it now in my marriage. There's going to be moments where you just get like frustrated. Like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And we have to learn to, like Carl and Charity said, walk in mercy, walk in forgiveness. Matthew 5 verse 7 says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Anybody in this room need mercy? And those of you that didn't raise your hands, I'm gonna have an altar call at the end of service. And someone near you is like, yo, you need mercy. You better get down to that altar call. <laughs> Sometimes we forget that we've missed it at times. There's a story in Matthew chapter 18 where this 
man is forgiven a huge debt. Like he owed this master a ton of money, this boss a ton of money. And the boss was pretty upset about it. But instead of holding on to his frustration, his anger, he said, you know what? I forgive you. Your debts are cleared. I'm going to forgive you. This is a big, big debt to forgive, but I'm going to forgive you. And what happens next in verse 28 of Matthew 18 is that, that, that guy who had been forgiven so much went outside. And I need some help here. Alan, can you come up here? He went out and he found someone that owed him pennies in comparison to what he owed the other man. And he grabbed him by the throat. Give me what you owe me, all the pennies. I want the whole 50 cents, you know. And the guy's like, please, just give me some time. He's begging for mercy. Alan, beg for mercy. Please, please. And he says, no, you're going to jail. Okay, you can go sit down. But what happened was the servants of the master who had forgiven this man a huge debt, they watched it all. God's always watching. And they went to the master, heartbroken. Master, the man that you forgave so much, like so much. Look at the way he's treating his wife. Look at the way he's treating his kids. Look at the way he's treating his pastor. I just had to slip that one in there. <laughs> but the point of the story is sometimes we forget how big of a debt we've been forgiven. And we get so offended at church and so offended at our spouse. You, you did this and you did that. <laughs> and we get upset at our kids. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, man, we just need to step back. Here's an anger management class for all of us right here. Step back. Oh, wow. I forgot how much I've sinned against God myself. And Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, forgive others so that you can be forgiven too. And if you choose not to forgive your spouse and not to forgive your kids and not to forgive people who might offend you at church, you are limiting the mercy of God back into your own life. It's a lie of the enemy to think that you can drink poison and hope the other person is gonna die. To forgive is to set a prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was you all along. And here's the fourth lie that, that we gotta look at is, or the third lie, the lie of distrust. The enemy loves to sneak in and just plant this lie. You can't trust anybody. You gotta be suspicious about everybody. Nobody is actually trustworthy. I remember when I was a teenager, someone that meant a lot to me and my family had made a lot of promises to us. And I was big on loyalty. Like loyalty meant a lot to me. And this person broke trust. And it hurt the family. But my family was pretty quick to forgive. Pretty quick to just let it go and forgive. I, on the other hand, I don't know why, I just... I don't know, maybe being a pastor's kid, I watched what they did and I knew that my dad is such a forgiving guy, but I just thought, we don't deserve that kind of treatment, that betrayal, and I was so upset, I held on to it. And then I chose to forgive the person and I thought I forgave them 100%. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've forgiven this person of that. But a few years went on and I found myself in friendships, relationships, always suspicious about who's the next Judas in my life. Who's the next Judas? Where's the Judas at? I know someone's gonna betray me. I'm always paranoid about who's gonna break trust. And finally, one day I sat down with this counselor who's 40 years older than me and began to dig beneath the surface 
Like that rattlesnake guy. If there's one snake, there might be a few more. Let's go get them out. The great thing about the Holy Spirit is he doesn't come to condemn you. He comes to convict you and to pull the weeds out from your life. He's the great gardener. He comes in and he says, listen, that's a, that's, a, that's a weed that doesn't belong there. Let me pull that out. No condemnation, Paul, but let me just help you become the man you're called to be. And if we're humble enough to receive it and not intimidated by the correction that God wants to bring, man, we can become everything God wants us to be. And we can have marriages that are better than the movies. And so that day I remember just really thinking about it. And it's a daily process, daily choice. But that was the beginning of learning to let go of the past and to stop punishing everybody around me in my present for what someone in my past did. And maybe someone here today, you're punishing your current spouse because of what your ex did. They broke trust with you and you're, you're carrying this distrust, this suspicion, always suspicious, always paranoid. Today, what if you allowed the Holy Spirit to start working on you in that area to remove that weed, that remove that snake out of your life, out of your relationships, so that you could even just breathe and have space to trust that not everybody around you is a Judas. Think about it in the, in the Bible, King Saul. Here was a king that was called to lead Israel with great confidence, with great strength. But in 1 Samuel 18, Saul got distracted by the lie of distrust. And a young boy named David who was sent to help Saul became a threat in Saul's eyes. He's just trying to take my kingdom. David wasn't trying to take his kingdom. David was trying to help build his kingdom. But that lie of distrust robbed Saul of the destiny God had on Saul's life and the relationship that God wanted Saul to have with David, to mentor David one day to be the following king. What did it do? Man, it led Saul down a path of self-destruction. Here's the fourth lie real quick that I want us just to uncover and really just change today, and it's the lie of selfishness. Selfishness. What's in it for me? When are they gonna meet my needs? I didn't get into this marriage just to always be a rug mat serving everybody else. When are they going to do this, this, this for me, 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 my, my, my? And we know Lucifer fell from heaven from a spirit of pride that, that resulted into a spirit of selfishness. I want more for me. I want more fame for me, more spotlight for me. And, and he couldn't handle it. How do, what's the cure to selfishness? Servanthood. The cure to selfishness is servanthood. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress everybody else. Instead, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. He goes on to say this. He says, don't look out just for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In fact, take on the same mindset, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, he says in verse 5. Take on that same servant's heart that Christ Jesus had. How are we going to get rid of selfishness? We're going to walk as servants. Instead of walking into the room saying, here I am, we walk into the room and we say, there you are. There you are. How can I serve you? And you don't have to wait till you get married to start serving. You could serve as a single. Maybe you've walked through a divorce and you're in a season right now of healing in your heart. Don't stop serving. I'm telling you, serving is the cure against selfishness. And selfishness will destroy you. It'll destroy you even after the divorce. It'll destroy you even after the third or fourth divorce. And, and whatever season of life you find yourself in, man, I'm telling you that if we will get rid of that snake of selfishness and start saying, Lord, it's not all about me. Help me, God, to look towards you. And it's one thing to protect yourself. It's another thing to make life all about you. And if we'll turn that focus back towards God, 
You know, I think, I think selfishness, servanthood, they're always battling, even in church services. When the time comes to give, when it's offering time, there's that desire, well, what's God gonna do for me? When is he gonna give me something? Well, you got breath in your lungs. Where do you think that breath came from? You got clothes on your back. You're still living. You're on this earth. The Bible says everything in the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord. Everything you have came from God. And if we walk around with, what's he gonna do for me? What's he gonna do for me? Chances are, if that's how we treat offering, that's how we treat our marriage too. What are they gonna do for me? What about me? What about my wants, my needs, my benefits? What are my benefits here? I've been doing a lot. When are you gonna do something for me? But man, if we will live with generosity, I'm telling you, generosity is a part of servanthood. It will not only kill the spirit of selfishness, it'll bring greater joy in your life. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And guys, we can break that spirit of selfishness, that spirit of what's in it for me right here, right now, if we will open our hearts and say, God, how can I help advance your kingdom in the earth? How can I help the boys and girls at the, at the Dream Center? How can I help the children at, at Victory Children's Church? How can I help raise up the next generation of teenagers at Victory Youth? How can I help married couples that are coming down to that altar that need restoration? How can I help reach more people in our city and in the world? If we will come from the attitude of what can I do for you, the God, because you've done so much for me, I'm telling you, the windows of heaven will continue to open up over our lives. But what we try to hold on to, Proverbs 11 says, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Here's what we're gonna do right now. I've got one last point that's very important, but before I share that last point, I wanna give you an opportunity to put this message into practice. We're gonna sow our tithes and our offerings to the Lord, and it's Mission Sunday, and I love Mission Sunday, because that means we get to help reach parts of the world with the gospel where there's no one else going into those areas. We're gonna be ministering to people uh, in nations where there's turmoil, where there's darkness, and as a church, we get to advance the gospel locally and globally with God's love. So right now, it's time to give, church. Happy are the generous people. Happy are those who approach the kingdom of God, saying, Lord, not what's in it for me, but thank you for what you've done for me. And in response, I wanna keep giving towards your kingdom, trusting your ways, trusting that you're gonna take care of the needs that I have. We're gonna be sowing this month into missionaries that are in parts of the Middle East, in parts of Europe, in parts of South America. And every month we help support these missionaries in other nations. We'll also be helping sow into some of our local outreaches that go out and around our city, ministering to people. Of course, just the weekly ministry that happens right here. Yesterday I, was, I got to talk with a family in our church who's struggling right now in, in various ways and our benevolence ministry was able to help meet some of their needs. And they just said, thank you so much. We love this church. We're so thankful to be a part of this church. Every week there's a lot of untold stories you don't know about that when we give our tithes and our offerings, man, we're making a difference in people's lives, practically and spiritually. And as you're sowing this morning, if you wanna give online, there's a link to do that, there's a text to do that. I'm just gonna pray as you're filling out prayer requests, praise reports, writing down what you're believing God for, writing down what you're thankful to God for. Lord, I just thank you this morning just for that heart of generosity. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for the chance to help 
people in other nations, to, to help minister to people in need, to help minister to people in our own church, to help minister to the boys and girls in this church and people in our city that need hope and healing. Lord, I thank you this message right now, God, that's going to be broadcast on TV all around the world is going to help reach marriages and families that need the word of God, that need transformation in their relationships. Lord, I thank you for the chance to get to do that. And Lord, I don't take it lightly. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing at Victory. Lord, thank you for what you're doing right now in this service. Lord, I thank you in advance for the needs represented in this room, that you're our source, you're our provider, Jehovah Jireh. And Lord, we trust in you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers will be by in just a moment. The band's gonna sing a short chorus of a song, and then I'm gonna step up and share the last part of this message. And I want you during this song just to let God speak to you, what you've been hearing during this message, maybe just reflecting on that scripture in your own life about being renewed in your mind to know God's perfect and pleasing will. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. thankful for the love of God that never runs out, never gives up on us. You know, this, this chorus goes into the final point of this message right here. The lie that the enemy wants to give the most to people is the lie of defeat. To say that you've fallen too far to get back up. To say, you're not going to get up from this mess. You've, you've blown it. You've missed your moment. You've made too many mistakes here. You'll never see restoration again. You'll never see a happier marriage again. You'll never, and the enemy loves to whisper these lies of condemnation. But Romans chapter eight, verse one says, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no more condemnation. See, you are not what you've done and you are not what's been done to you. You are not what you've done and you are not what's been done to you. You say, Paul, I've blown it. I've messed up. I missed it. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'll see. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. 
Because the Jesus that we serve is the God of great comebacks. That when he was down in the tomb for three days and it looked like it was all over, there was a comeback resurrection spirit on the inside of him. That he would conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. He would rip the keys of authority from Satan and say, now you have resurrection power. You have resurrection power. You can get back up. Psalms 34 says that God is close to the brokenhearted. So if you feel like you've missed it, or your heart's been broken, or your marriage has been broken, or maybe you're here today standing for a marriage to be restored, God hears your prayers. He's close to the brokenhearted, and He rescues those from the pit of despair. Romans 8 verse 28 says He's working all things together for good. He's working all things together for good. It may not look good right now, but I'm telling you, God's not finished yet. He's going to bring you to a flourishing finish. I remember in eighth grade, I had missed the winning shot for my basketball championship. I was, I was on the court for the last four seconds of the game. The ball was in my hands. It was the championship game and I missed it. And man, I was so discouraged. I fell down on that court and I just began to cry. And I thought about the movie Pistol Pete. Anybody ever see the movie Pistol Pete on ESPN like 15, 20 years ago? There's this moment where Pistol Pete, the basketball player, he misses a shot, he falls down on the court. So there I am, I'm imitating what I saw in a movie. I'm crying. My dad comes over to me, he says, get up. <laughs> no, <laughs> like no gentleness, just get up. Dad, again, I blew it. Paul, get up. Dad, I'm a loser. I failed. I failed. My career is over. Paul, get up. Get up, son. Get up, son. You got your whole life in front of you. You got so many more opportunities. Paul, this is not the end. Get back up. And the words that my dad spoke to me that day, I'm speaking to someone who feels defeated. Someone who feels like they failed in their marriage or failed in a relationship. Get up. Get up, son. Get back up. If there's breath in your lungs, God's not finished yet. He can still do a miracle. He still has a plan for your life. You are not a failure. You are not a loser. You are a child of God. You are more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the spirit of this world. So why don't we all get up this morning from our seats? This is a message of hope for every person here today, single or married. Whatever season of life you're in, whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship, maybe you feel like you've blown it in your purity. Maybe you feel like you've missed it in relationships. Maybe you feel like you missed the window of opportunity. I don't know what it is that the devil's trying to whisper defeat, that spirit of finality saying it's over. But Jesus is coming in right now. I just look at this cross behind us at the back of this stage. And I'm so glad we've got that cross up there because that cross says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Jesus paid the price for my sins. Jesus paid the price. I can be forgiven. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can get back up. He's not still hanging on the cross, man. He went down in that grave and he ripped the, 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 the keys of authority from Satan. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. All across this room, I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes.
If you're here right now and you say, Paul, I need God's grace in my life. I need God's grace. I need his grace. I need him to change some areas in my life that you were talking about today. I need God to come in and renew some areas in my mind, in my heart. I need his mercy and his grace. If that's you, just lift your hand all over this room. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, from the front to the back, from the side to the side. Yeah, hands still going up. I need God's grace. I need his grace. I need his mercy. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I need a miracle. May not be about marriage, may not be about family, but you came today to church because you're trusting in God to do a miracle in your life. If that's you, just lift your hand up. Maybe it has to do with something completely different than what I preached about today, but you're at church and you need a miracle from heaven. And last but not least, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I don't know if I've ever been right with God. I need him to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm ready to repent. I want my name written in the book of life. I want to know that I'm going to heaven one day. If that's you, today's your day to get things right. Just raise your hand right here, right now. If you're watching online, can we cheer on those that just raised their hands? What a big moment today. God's presence is here right now. His power is here. All over this room, this is not about hype. This is not about excitement in a moment. This is about the Holy Spirit convicting, leading, directing, and bringing grace to empower you to get back up. Bringing grace to change areas that need to be changed. Many hands were lifted in that first call that I asked. Many hands were lifted in that second call. I'm gonna ask those of you that raised your hands for any of those that I asked to take a bold step from your seat, to come and meet me at this altar. This is gonna be an altar of grace, an altar of healing, an altar of hope. This is gonna be an altar today of freedom. This is gonna be an altar today to say, Jesus, have your way in my heart, in my mind, my attitude, my relationships, my marriage. Yeah, let's cheer on today, every person that's coming down. There's still room at this altar. There's still room at this altar. Maybe you wanna just come down here with your whole family. Maybe you wanna come down to this, this altar right now with your spouse. Maybe you wanna come down to this altar right now with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, however you came in today. But if you say, God, I need some mercy and some grace. I need some transformation. I need some change. I need to surrender to you. Just make your way down to this altar right now. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. I don't know why I love this story. Maybe it's just because I love the way Jesus treats all people. And it kind of shows how Jesus was so different than the religious people of his day. This story, I remember preaching this story in Dominican Republic 10 years ago when I was on a mission trip and, and I came across John chapter eight, verse one through 11. It's a story about this woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery, just caught in the middle of sin. And she was caught by religious people. Who knows why they were at her house or what they were doing there? I don't know if it was a trap or what, but they caught her in the act of it. And they grabbed her and they dragged her towards Jesus in the middle of a marketplace. True story. And there she is, they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they pick up big rocks. And they look at Jesus and they say, the law of Moses says we get to stone this woman for what she did. What do you say we do, teacher? Jesus looks at all the religious people with their big rocks in their hands. He gets down in the mud 
Jesus is not intimidated by the mud. He's not intimidated by the mess in your life. And he begins to write in the mud and write in the mess. I don't know what he wrote, but it was something spectacular because the atmosphere changed in that circle of people. He stood up and he looked at each religious person with their stones and he said, okay, all right. You who have not sinned, cast the first stone. Those of you that have never sinned before, you get to throw the first stone. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones. The woman was laying there in the dust and Jesus knelt down and he lifted up her head and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there's none. There's none, master. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The grace of God showed up that day in her life that would change the course and the destiny of her life. And that same grace is here right now to lift you up, to change your destiny. Lord, I just pray for every person at this altar. Only you know what's going on. Lord, I pray for healing in the body, healing in the mind, healing in the heart. I pray, God, for mercy and grace to cover every man, every woman that didn't come down to the altar that's still thinking about it in their chair. I pray, God, for those that are here at this altar right now, God, just for restoration, restoration. Lord, just a fresh start, fresh beginning. God loves you. He loves you. He's for you. He wants you to become who he's called you to be. He's transforming minds. He's transforming hearts. He's bringing healing and forgiveness in relationships. He's going to help you to trust again. He's going to help you to love again. He's going to help you to forgive. He's going to help you to know what to do, the decisions you need to make. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for grace, great grace, great mercy, Lord. Why don't we all pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. Purify me, God, from the inside out. Make me more like you, Jesus. I'm all yours. I surrender my attitude, my feelings my relationships I say have your way your will be done in my life in Jesus name amen and amen let's give God praise today praise God well hey we love you victory we bless you this is going to be your best week yet in Jesus name well hey I hope God spoke to you today and I hope that God confirms some things in your heart about what he wants to do in and through your life if you've not accepted Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior I want to invite you to do that with me right now maybe you have but maybe you've walked away from God you've been allowing sin to get between you and God and you just know man things aren't right you need to repent and it's time to get back on that right road that God has for you would you just pray this prayer with me right now say Jesus be my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. And I accept you into my heart today as my Lord, my Savior. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, today is a new day in your life. 
This is the season where God wants to do fresh things in your life, not just for a short time, but from this day forward, it's time to start living your best days yet. Hey, you know what? We would love for you to continue to stay connected with us online. Once again, email us your story at myvictory@victory.com, or if this message ministered to you, partner with us financially. You can give right now at victory.com or you can give through the Victory app. We love you. We're praying for you. And remember, with Jesus, your best days are always right in front of you.